This show is brought to you by hospicechaplaincy.com, promoting excellency in professional hospice chaplaincy. You can check it out at hospicechaplaincy.com. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show about hospice chaplains, their stories and therapeutic interventions they use to take care of their patients. We are your hosts, Sole Bem and Joe Newton. Joe, since this is our first episode, I want the listeners to hear our stories and why we do what we do. So, why did you become a hospice chaplain? Good question, Saul. Uh... Years ago, I uh, had an episode in my life where all of a sudden my grandmother uh, became very sick, or at least we thought so. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother uh, was the light of my life. She was incredible. She was everything to me. And all of a sudden you hear about that she's you know a distance away and things are going downward, as they said. And... I didn't have any idea how to handle that. Hmm. This was all before I became chaplain, before I became clergy. It was just a a time in my life where a significant loved one was dying, or at least I thought so, and I didn't know how to handle it. So I decided I would investigate whatever I could about life. And I heard all of a sudden at church that I was going to, they had a, a, a Sunday learning experience where they were talking about hospice and end of life. And of course, I had to go into that, and of course, learn, ended up reading Elizabeth Kubler Ross's book, uh, "Death and Dying." And something just tripped my trigger, as you would say. Just something happened, mm. and many years later, probably close to uh, close to twenty-five to thirty years later, I'm in. <laughs> In the church, and I realized that, that 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 God was more or less saying to me, you know, you need something else to do because you've got gifts. Hmm. And I ended up inter- uh, putting a, an application into a hospice agency, and got, you know, I guess you would say I got called to that. And then as soon as I walk into that and start doing this ministry, I realized that this was something that I needed to do for the rest of my life as much as I can. And I know that it's going to be. I mean, this is this is. This is me, and I enjoy it so much. And uh, to me, that's where I see God wow. a lot. I've seen a lot of God workings. Mm. How about you, Saul? Why did you jump into this? You know, it's always a blessing to do what you do. For me, um, I came to the United States in 2005 from Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, to study at Northern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. And I got a job you know, rightly, a year after, to work in a church. Mm-hmm. 
But then I felt like there was something missing, you know, uh, the sense of community, the sense of realness that I'd experienced in Africa. I couldn't find it in the church. And <laughs> I could not find that realness. So people came and no one seemed to be open, you know, to, you know, to let people into their lives. So then uh, the school gave me a chance to do internship. Yeah. And because I was pastoring already in the church, they said, you must do internship in a different context. And then I chose a hospice to work as a hospice chaplain volunteer. Uh-huh. And the moment I started and then getting into the patients' lives in their homes and and hearing their stories, I, I felt like this is where I need to be, the realness, the invitation into their pain. You know, there's nothing to hide when the doctor says you're left with six months or less to live. Mm -hmm. So you live with that openness of your reality. And I realized that is where I needed to be. Yeah. So I resigned from my church and pursued hospice chaplaincy. Wow, what a jump. <laughs> what a jump. Yes. It was uh, quite an amazing jump, but my life needed that because mm -hmm. I, yeah, doing chaplaincy, I became who I was meant to be. You know, I became, I was finally uh, experiencing life the way, you know, I, I wanted it to be. So I noticed that uh, we're talking about even therapeutic intervention. I noticed you have a, a pet, a dog therapist. Oh, a pet therapy. Yes, I <laughs> yeah. do. Very much so. Yep. So how do you incorporate that in your ministry? Oh, I'll tell you. Uh, the, how that all came about was after my dad died. And, and that was... Uh, that was almost nine years. That's over nine years ago now. And... I had purchased a dog. The dog would go with me everywhere because of just, he was a puppy. And so the, after, we're, after everything settled down, I was over visiting my mom one day and noticed the dog sitting on the middle of the floor just as my mom and I were talking. And, and mom was grieving. She was crying. She was melancholy. And all of a sudden, without me saying a word, the dog got up, walked over to my mom, sat down beside her, laid mm. there, mm. and for about 45 minutes, he just sat there and let my mom pet him. And the change that came over my mom was incredible. She was more calm. She was more focused. She was more aware of what was going on around her, and, and it eased her pain. Didn't take it away, of course, you know, and I just was in awe of that. And so then I investigated... Uh, where to find the, the training and do the training and all that, just to get into that point, because there is a training yeah. to be uh, a registered therapy dog. And, and he has shown me, gosh, I can tell you many stories of what he has done with patients that we've met and their families. I mean, he's been at funerals. He's been at wakes. Uh, he's, he is just a very, very uh, wonderful presence and uh, I'm just so blessed with that. And how it happened, uh, I somebody in the office said, you know, you should do this, Joe. I mean, this is a pretty good thing. You got a good dog there. And I'm like, really? Okay. You know, I didn't know what was expected. And it has become huge, really, quite, quite a big focus in our hospice. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, do you have any experiences for our listeners? What? 
experiences do you think have shaped your hospice ministry? Oh, Saul, I could go on for quite a while here, so I'll just try and figure out a few things. (laughs) Uh, My hospice journey has been like, you know, the circle of life that you hear about. You you know, you you heard the song in in, uh, Lion King and all that. This is my, my circle of life. Before I went into seminary, and when I told you before about how my grandmother was dying, uh, I ended up being a volunteer for a hospice out in the uh, outer reaches here of the Chicagoland area. And it was a totally volunteer hospice. And so I was just there as a visitor. And I had this one family that I met that just... It was incredible to see how I was accepted and brought into the family, even though I'm just a stranger that walks in the door. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the the story of what's going on with the patient, who happened to be a, a grandmother who was, when I walked in the first time I met her, I knew that she had cancer. But I walk in the door and she's sitting at the counter drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I thought, that's how we're supposed to live the rest of our life, the way that we lived our life entirely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I learned so much about how we make our own choices and how we live our lives, even when we know that we're, our life is ending. And this woman lived it. Mm. She lived it greatly. And so then I, then I ended up going to seminary and did the pastor, you know, I did the pastor role just like you did. Yes. And felt empty like you did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And like I said, I, 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 all of a sudden I saw this this hospice person walking by when I was uh, uh, working in a hospital as a chaplain. And that's when I called and I just, I look at this whole thing and I'm like, you know, that happened over 30 years ago. And finally now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing that God has said, Joe, let's, let's focus on this. And it's been uh, the last many years, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience. How about you, That's Saul? What, what other experiences you have? I know, I know your history of your life. Yes, you've explained that to me before. So, so I'll share a little bit of that for our listeners because every hospice chaplain has a story. Absolutely, you know, because when you're dealing with death and dying every day, uh, there must be something you know that makes you resilient enough to continue to do what you're doing. So, for me, it's my experiences of death. Uh, I experienced death at a very young age. Uh, I, for those who are listening, I was born in South Sudan. And during that time, Sudan was going through uh, a tremendous uh, amount of war. And that happened uh, that in 1989, when I was 12 years old, uh, my village was attacked. And um, my parents were were slaughtered in front of me. As a 12-year-old boy watching that, uh, a part of me died as my parents died. And then by God's grace, we were taken to, my brother and I were taken to a refugee camp in northern Uganda. And even there in the refugee camp, uh, we will see hundreds of people die. So we live with death and dying each and every day. And then when I was 15, my brother and I were kidnapped uh, to fight as child soldiers against the government, even there in the military, seeing people dying. So those experiences of death and dying uh, have really formed me. And over the years, I've met therapists who helped me process uh, my grief, the death of my family, the death of my friends and all that. That really 
it gave me a purpose. I realized, you know, perhaps my life has been saved to help people who are dealing with grief. Yeah. So in the uh, in the process, just like Henry Nowen's book, The Wounded Healer. So I become a wounded healer. Through my wounds, I'm able to help other people who are dealing with their grief, who are dealing with their pain. I've heard those stories before, and I'm just in awe of what you've been able to overcome and what you have become. And it's incredible, just simply incredible. I think that uh, in life, all, all the experiences that we go through prepare us uh, in somehow to be a blessing to other people. You know, we can use those experiences that have helped us to help other people who are dealing through the same experiences. And you can see with hospice, so many people uh, struggling with death and dying, the pain of grief, the challenges of grief. So those experiences for me, they help me to walk into that scenario and be able to walk alongside the patients and their families and to help them process whatever they're dealing with. So, Joe, uh, do you have any hospice stories for our listeners that affirm your decision to becoming a hospice chaplain? I had an occasion to be on call, and I had a call one evening to go out to this family's home, and you could tell by the the request that they were struggling. The family was really struggling with the decline of their father. And he wasn't a young man, but still, you know, it's their father. And I walk into the house and realize that, you know, I am— I am not Catholic, and it was a very Catholic family. And they just said, they looked at me and said, I, we don't care. We don't care. We just want to, we want a prayer. And so, of course, what I like to do when I go into the homes is I like to at least meet the folks, uh, develop hopefully some sort of a little bit of a, a relationship before I just go and just pray and leave the house and like think, well, that's, you know, that's like going by and dropping off a casserole and just saying, here, eat. Uh, but I just like to be able to, interact with them and have a, have a discussion about what's going on, how they're feeling, what's happening, uh, what's been going on with dad, what's ha- what, you know, all of those things that I find are very important just to get an idea that they think that I'm, that they know that I'm very interested in knowing what's happening. Well, I did all of the, all the above. I prayed with them. I stayed with them for a while and just a very gracious family, very grateful, uh, the wife was very thankful. It was really a neat experience. And so uh, I think that happened on a Sunday night. And the next morning I went to work and I went to my supervisor and I said, you know, this family I just met on, on last night that I went, was called out to, I'd like to go and follow up with them and see how they're doing and see how, uh, if they're okay and if there's anything else that we can do to help them along this when he's journey. And so I walk in, I knock on the door, and they were, oh, they were so glad to see me. They were thankful that I came back again. And I said, you know, I appreciate uh, having this opportunity, so I'm just going to go up and said, all right, if I go up and talk to the talk to the, the husband, your husband there, oh, yeah, please just go ahead and just whatever. And I walked up to this gentleman, 
when I kneeled on the floor, knelt down on the floor, and I leaned over into his ear, and I said, Tino, it's okay now. You can go. And he died. <laughs> and I'm That's like, powerful. I'm like, what just happened? Wow. And, of course, uh, his son was there, and the son started bouncing off the walls, and the wife was shocked, and it to think that I walked in and gave him permission to go to die. It's just, you know, you, you never hear of that. You never hear that. You never yes. think of that could happen. And uh, and I have been a very good friend of this young man, this man that I met yeah. since then, because we have that connection now. And um, it, it was an exceedingly powerful time for me Yeah, to think, you know, how could, you know, how could I do that? Yes. <laughs> but I didn't do it. But I didn't do it. I just happened to be there at the time. Wow. That is why we do what we do, brother. That's right, my man. I remember for me, um, I was visiting a patient. Uh, when I arrived, I found that she was unable to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so we communicated through writing. So she had a, a board. So she wrote uh, after, after the initial greetings. She wrote on a piece of paper, can you be my pastor? Ooh. I Ooh. said, uh, yes, yes, I will be your pastor if that's what you want. So then she said, can you um, officiate my funeral after I die? Mm. I said, yes, yes, I will uh, officiate your funeral. So I said, um, I wrote on the paper, what do you want me to tell your family. And she began to narrate, to narrate her hopes and her dreams for her. And the first uh, order of business for me was to talk to her husband. She wanted me to talk to her husband and to prepare for her death because the husband never wanted to talk about it. Yeah, She knew what was coming and she wanted to confront it, but the husband did not want to. So no. she's like, can you process my illness and my death with my husband and that was really powerful moment for me you know mm -hmm. a few, about a month later she died i officiated her funeral and read to the family you know the messages she had for each and every one of them that is when i realized wow i love what i do <laughs> it's amazing it, when you have that kind of a connection with someone yes. in a very short she knew something about you saul that other people would just ignore or not even understand that you have that part of you. Yeah. And that is part of the blessing of this ministry. Yes. Because you get those opportunities when you can just interact and, you know, this, you know, death and dying is a very, very sensitive, uh, emotional, vulnerable time. And, you know, families don't always quite comprehend that when they are dealing with their loved one. And because, number one, they're dealing with themselves. Yes. And how they react to the dying. Yes. And that can be so, so troubling. It is. It's challenging, especially when, when the patient is ready. Absolutely. But the family is not ready to confront the elephant in the room. Exactly. They know. <laughs> but they're exactly. not ready to talk about it. Nope. But this woman wanted to talk about it. 
and and uh, just to see her courage, uh, her strength, uh, her resilience, and her grace, uh, for me that was uh, very inspirational. Yeah, you know, and those things inspire me to move forward. Then I remember another person. Um, in fact, uh, during that time, uh, part of my job was also to to do hospice presentation. Mm-hmm. So I remember one night I was called out and it was this lady. We were at the hospice and I presented hospice and they chose to go with our hospice. So I began to visit her weekly, you know, for spiritual support. And then one day I asked her, uh, do you have any unfinished business? You know, mm. is there something that you haven't done that you've wanted to do? Sure. She said, yes, I've always wanted to get married to my man, we've been dating for 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> but we had promised each other that before we die, we will get married. And I said, you know what? I can help you. We can of- we can- I can officiate your wedding if that's what you want. And I told the nursing home, and they prepared uh, the dining room. Oh, Next cool. thing you know, they called uh, the local news people, and they came. And this couple had an amazing wedding. <laughs> Two weeks later, she died, but she was able to finalize oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, that hope, uh, that dream that she's held for a while. You know, doing stuff like that just uh, inspires me. Oh, I had the opportunity once where I had this patient, and of course, it had uh, one of them that I had with my dog, with my pet therapy. And we would visit like every other week or whatever, and just to, to be with her. And she just adored the dog. Well, she started making a turn, but I happened to get sick and was in the hospital. And I had been in the hospital for what, almost two weeks or some more? Almost two weeks. And I kept looking at my phone, waiting to see an email saying that this particular woman had died. And, and I'm like, what's she waiting for? And I kept wondering what it was. And I got out of the hospital. And one of the first things I did then when I was able to get up and get out and go about and do my thing was to go visit this lady mm-hmm. with my dog. And when I walked in, it was noticeable that she was definitely near death's door. And I walk in and I, of course, introduce myself again to her and brings the dog by her and all that. And I, th- her niece was there. And the smile on her face, by that the niece's face, noting that this was, might have been the thing that this lady was waiting for. And unbelievable to think that that's what she was waiting to see me again and the dog because she had that kind of relationship. I mean, we just, we would talk about everything and anything, and especially about her dying and family and life. And then to wait until I got there and. I again, I, I assisted on their funeral, on her funeral as well, and those are th- gifts, true gifts from God. When you start thinking about how it is that, you know, there's so many people that come into each of our patients' lives, and we happen to be one at the right time or God-given time that seems to touch their lives. You know, there's those folks that you know they we don't we don't get that with, and then there are those that we do. Yes. You know, um, it's just amazing. Uh, I, as you were talking about that, I remember the story 
when I was doing my CPE residency. So during my CPE residency, for the whole year, I was placed to work uh, in the context of hospice. So I remember uh, visiting this patient. She was 95 years old with end-stage Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. So I remember every time I visited her, she assumed uh, different uh, personalities upon me. Like one time she would think I'm her husband. <laughs> <laughs> then one time she would think I'm her son. Oh, I'm the, the mailman, you know, so she would assume all these uh, personalities upon me. Every visit, it was different. And as someone who was doing CPE, I didn't know how to deal with it. So yeah. I would try to correct her. No, I'm not your husband. <laughs> I'm the chaplain. And she would be mad. So I went to my CPE supervisor. I'm like, I'm struggling I love this woman, and every time we go, we have an amazing visit. You know, she everything doesn't make much sense, but it's beautiful. She said, uh, and then the supervisor said, just become who she wants you to be. Right. If that day she's looking at you as her son, treat her like you are her son. Yes. And when I began to do that, it was amazing. You know, we built an, a, a powerful relationship, you know, a chaplain client. And then one day... Uh, out of the blue, she said, you know what, um, I've been stuck in this train station for a long time. I'm waiting for the train to come and take me. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm just going far away. Uh, then she said, but when I do go, I will leave you a note. I said, oh, that's fine. You know, thank sure. you. Know, she's just confused. So after that, I took a week off vacation. And when I came back, Asked for her at the nursing station, they said she had died. So he now owned where she knew she was dying. Mm -hmm. And for the because of the nature of our relationship, she wanted to let me know. And in her own way, she let me know. And <laughs> what a beautiful image, though, to say that she was waiting for the train. Yes. It's, it is uh it is powerful, you know. <laughs> but it's you know you bring up the idea of dealing with people with dementia mm. and i talked to this daughter after we had her mother on our service for like two or three years and this daughter took care of her mother at home the whole time without any kind of I, there might have been caregivers in there but i mean still she was the my primary caregiver and I, I had to go up to her because I hear all the time that I hear families say, you know, she's not really here or he's not really here. And I said, how did you handle this as your mom was dying and declining when she couldn't talk to you anymore? She didn't recognize you anymore. She didn't uh, respond to you in any form or fashion. And what she saw, told me was just, to me, was mind, mind changing and mind boggling. She says, you know, I had to remember that God gives us each a soul. Mm. And with that soul, we have to take care of it. She said, that was my goal, is to take care of mom's soul until the point that she was taken home to God. And I'm like, that's awesome. I mean, considering, you know, there's so much burnout and there's so much, uh, it's so difficult when families are in the midst of that yeah. dementia decline. Yes. It's challenging and and. 
and just for the you know as a chaplain you know to be given that opportunity to walk alongside families and patients in those yeah. kind of situations uh, is powerful <clears throat> one area that i think uh, is underestimated within chaplaincy ministry is when the patient is in bed uh, unresponsive I remember uh, visiting a patient in a nursing home, and he was always in bed. He couldn't talk. So I would just hold his hand. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes I would just uh, play music. But one day I just sat next to him, and I held his hand for some time, prayed, read some poems. And as I was going, I was trying to let my hand go. He <laughs> held it tighter. <laughs> and that oh, made me yes. realize he yeah. was... He was participating in the visit. He was enjoying the visit and didn't want me to go. And such opportunities just to to minister like that, it is what encourages me. It is what makes me wake up every morning to go and visit as a hospice chaplain. She used to be a nurse for 50 years. And I asked her, uh, I used to call her mother (laughs) because she worked at a children's hospital. Everybody called her mother. Mm -hmm. That's what she told me. So I said, mother, um, what is your dream right now? And she said, you know, I'm glad that you asked that question. I have a dream. I used to work at the children's hospital in Chicago for 50 years. I retired in 1988. And after that, recently I've heard that they built a new facility. And you know what? My dream is to tour that new facility. Mm. And I'm like, thank you for letting me know. So I googled the hospital. I called and I asked to speak to the chaplain. So I told the chaplain, I'm a hospice chaplain and I have a patient here and her dream is to tour your facility. Can we make it happen? He said, let me talk to the hospital, uh, hospital administration. You take care of your side. So I went to my hospice supervisor and hospice director, and I told them, my patient has a dream to visit the children's hospital in Chicago for a tour. Mm-hmm. Can you guys help and make it happen? They said, fine. So yeah. they arranged transportation. We coordinated with the hospital, and the date was set. And I remember riding with her and her children, to that hospital, and the hospital had a VIP welcome for her. Cameras, the president That's was awesome. there. They gave her the tour <laughs> of the facility, the unit where she used to work for, <laughs> for 50 years. And you know what? That moment made her so happy. She was even asking for the hospital to work there again as a volunteer in some mm-hmm. capacity. And I think that experience made her feel better somehow. Oh, and, she got, and, had some probably some thought that she was getting her life complete. Yes. So after a month or two, she was discharged from hospice, no, alive. No. You know, she became so better after that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just stories like that just uh, inspire me deeply. <laughs> well, those are incredible stories. I mean, 
I had occasion once where I had a patient <clears throat> and he, uh, he was very active, very focused and had something he had accomplished before he, before he died. And I happened to visit one day cause he lived right next door to his daughter. They lived, you know, in the, in the same apartment, uh, condominium complex, and they lived right across from the hall from each other. And one day I went in to visit and they were saying, oh, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, so-and-so is not here right now. He's out doing some work. And I'm like, what's he doing? And they said, oh, he's just went to the bank. I thought, okay. And then I saw him the next day and he said, yeah, I had to, I had to transfer some money from one CD to another. And I'm like, okay, that, you know, why all that? That was the last thing he did. Like the next, like within two days, he had died because he had finished what he needed to get done and make sure everything was in order for his daughter and for his life. And then, then uh, he went and, you know, those are the interesting things to me when you start talking about what, what goes on with people and how it is that they, those, those last things that we don't know what they want to do or what they need to have to get done. Mm. And we as hospice chaplains always are, trying to figure that out yeah. when we talk to them. And, uh, you know, sometimes they, they don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like uh, there are beautiful parts of our job, but there are also challenges. So can you share with our listeners just one experience that made you feel like, man, this job is hard? Oh, I, oh, I had one that was just, it just, hit me right between the eyes because I thought I did everything right. Yeah. Uh, I had a gentleman that I was visiting on a regular basis and he was at his home and he had his, his whole family around him, taking care of him from his own children to grandchildren. And I just happened one day to come in and, you know, it's part of our work that we have to find out if they've got a funeral home arranged or something of that nature. And, I walk in and I talk to this gentleman and I'm saying, you know, hey, what, you know, somewhat self-serving. So if he, when he, when he would die, I would know where I would go to, to his visitation. And I said, so have you, have your family yet decided on a, on a funeral home yet? And he gives me that, that, that quizzical look like, no, they haven't. Oh, I said, well, that might be something that might need to be talked about. So I ended my visit and I left and I, Went back and I've heard the very next day that I was not allowed to go back there. And I, the only thing I could think of was the gentleman asked his family to talk about the funeral home, which meant end of life, which meant they're in denial. They didn't, that was just my assumption. That yeah. That's what took place because I was not allowed to go back. To go back. And we had a wonderful relationship and he even asked me to go and talk to a couple of his children yeah. because they were struggling. Yes, they were struggling very much with his, his illness and his decline. Mm. And it's like, you know, what did I do? I, I you know, I still questioned. I it really made you question yourself. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. that's tough. It is. It is. And that is the nature of the job. While there are joys, <laughs> there are also challenges. Oh, absolutely. For me, uh, it came, uh, I was visiting, uh, a person and then the nurse approaches me you know we met uh, that's the thing with hospice work you meet the other stuff in the hospital in the nursing home in the homes so we were, we were visiting at the hospital and she said hey so one of my patients really wants to talk to you you know this patient mm -hmm. had declined the chaplain visit so I had no contact 
So she's like, call him, call him right away because he's been wanting to talk to you. So I called the patient. I said, uh, I heard that you wanted to talk to me. Can I come visit you today? Uh, he said, no, um, don't come, but let us talk over the phone. I said, uh, I can actually come because face-to-face mm-hmm. mm-hmm. might be better. He's like, no, 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 chaplain, don't come. Let us talk over the phone. I said, fine. So how can I help you? Then he began to confess uh, something terrible that he had done. Oh. And he had gotten away with it. Oh. Something really, really bad. And I'd not had such experience before that it really shook <laughs> my theological foundation. Oh, for sure. And he's like, can God forgive me? I say, you know, this is not about me. It's about the passion. I say, yes, yes, God, God is a forgiving God and God can forgive you. And if you confess to God, God will forgive you. And they confessed to God and, and we prayed. And uh, two days later, he died. But uh, the confession alone shook me. I'm like, oh, my God. What do I do? So <laughs> those are the scary parts of being in this type it's of ministry. Sc- yes, yes. Because so you're torn. Should I report? But no, you cannot report. It's a therapeutic context. You know, that's it's, right. It's, it's that privacy. Uh, it's not privacy. It's the confessional. The confession. Yes. And uh, so that really uh, that was challenging for me. <laughs> I've never had that experience. I would. I would. You know, I've had those who just, you know, say that I've not been a nice person, but nothing of any real. And I can understand why he didn't want to see you. Because if he had, if if the authorities had found out, he would have maybe been locked up for life. He got away with it. And so hearing that confession, I was torn on those, you know, should I report this? But no, this is, this is a confession. This is a spiritual ministry context. Absolutely. And, uh. Yeah, even when I was saying, you know, God has forgiven you and praying with them, my uh, my theological, I had inner conflict, you know, just mm-hmm. hearing the shocking news. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. So, but that so is. How did you deal with that? How did you talk to anybody about that? Uh, because you need to be able to share your. Your 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 feelings about that because yes, I mean yeah. that's. No, you might not be able to discuss what actually was expressed, but you can, you've got to be able to. Where'd you go to that? Uh, the, in that organization, we had seven chaplains. Oh, okay. And so I was able to talk to some of the chaplains and process. Oh, good. You know, to debrief with them. Yeah, yeah. And that is the power, you know, of having a community. You know, sometimes chaplains think, you know, it's a long ranger job, but it's important to reach out to other chaplains and debrief you know, on tough situations like that to process together to help you to continue to do what you do. I, I like the, the term you use, Lone Ranger, because unfortunately a lot of us clergy are Lone Rangers, and that's not healthy. And that's another topic we can talk about another time. But, uh, you know, that's not a – that's a good that you could share that because, I mean, we, we, we experience a lot. Yeah. We experience a lot of things with with people dying. I mean, and, you know, I think sometimes when I see our staff and the number of people that we work with and the number of deaths that we have, 
And I don't always think that people handle that very well. They get, uh, they get stressed out. I know I have found myself at times like that, and I'm grateful I have a wife that will uh, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Yes, it that helps a lot. As we come to the close of this uh, first show, what wisdom do you have for the chaplains out there on the road right now? Oh, what would I tell them to do right now? Uh, if, I would say that the first thing that really you need to know about what it is that this is all about is to know yourself what it is and how it is you respond to situations and things that are going to go, because it's going to come to you. Mm. It definitely is going to. And that, uh, you know, how are you going to handle someone who is, will call you every name in the book? What are you going to do if there's someone out there who is uh, not faithful? I mean, we know that we've run into that every day where, where we think that they're not faithful, but I'm one of those believes that believers that think that everybody is somewhat faithful. Mm-hmm. in all aspects. But I mean, as yeah. far as that, I mean, and to know how it is that, you know, you can uh, leave things in God's hands and that you don't have to do it all. Yes. Thank you. You don't have to do it all. That that ends our first uh, episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in again next week. Remember, if you have any questions or ideas on the topics you've spoken about or you want to share your story, Reach, reach, reach us at hospicechaplaincy.com. Have a great day.